0: If you would this morning, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. If you know anything about Ephesians, you know that it is a book that is littered with um, theology about the church, called properly Ecclesiology, coming from the Greek term Ecclesia, which means assembly or gathering, uh, gathering of the body of Christ. And so... Ephesians, uh, and that's how I kind of remember, you have Colossians that deals with Christology, the study of Christ, and Ephesians that deals with ecclesiology, the kind of CC and EE. Anyway, if it doesn't work for you, don't worry about it. It works for me. Um, but Ephesians does deal with, with the church of Jesus Christ um, and a, a solid theology that we can build upon about what is the church. And that's something we want to talk about over, over the season of Pentecost uh, during the summer. And as we move into the fall, we're going to be talking about this. Um, because I think uh, for me and for everyone here, we all need to remind ourselves of who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, uh, let's, let's look here in Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll start with... Just, just for time's sake, we'll start with verse 13. Because really, I feel like you have to read Paul. I feel like you have to read the whole book, really, to get Paul's... I mean, he never disconnects anything, which is tough in reading. But nonetheless, we'll start with verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace The hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Notice how Trinitarian that is. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, we do thank You for Your Word. Your Word that never returns void. Lord, may these words that have been spoken in this place this morning bear fruit in the hearts and souls of we, Your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about refocusing and how it's good for us at different points in our life to refocus. Um, When one gets married, you have to refocus. It's almost mandatory to refocus certain values, certain uh, hobbies, certain things that you like to do. Maybe the way you close the blind can no longer be closed that way because there's been an argument over that. I don't know. Uh, There's many things that have to be refocused as we look at this other person who's now coming to our life. And of course, when you have children, the same thing goes on. There's a refocusing, a new job, a new situation in life. As you realize you're getting older, those are things that help us to have to refocus and say, okay, where am I? Am I I on the track that God has prepared for me? Or have I kind of strayed off? Because here's the reality it's natural to stray off. But as we talked about two Sundays ago, we need not just a natural touch. We're not just naturalists. But instead, we believe that God can supernaturally touch us. Just like He did the woman who had the issue of blood that we just read this morning. He can touch us supernaturally. We we have to live supernatural lives, not just natural. Natural tendencies to wander. Uh, you know... Just kind of wandering. You ever seen somebody that's just kind of in a daze? Um, you know, they're not really focused on anything. It's funny. Uh, I was cook- barbecuing um, some hamburgers yesterday uh, for, for our, our family. And uh, Bo went outside with me. And so I'm sitting in a chair. And you know how I You just kind of... I just locked on to something out by the tree line at my house and just started staring. And he kept... He would go... Look at me. And then he'd look back at the tree line like... And then you look back at me. He was trying to figure out what I was looking at. I wasn't looking at anything. In, you know, when you're staring, you're not really looking at anything in particular. You know, you kind of wake up out of your stupor and you're like, oh, I was actually staring at someone. I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I actually wasn't looking directly. I was kind of looking somewhere else. But uh, that's how life can get for us. We can kind of get into a stare, so to speak. In our life. I mean, we really can. Where we're, where we're kind of living life, things are going on, we're kind of aware, but we're really not looking at anything. There's really no focus to our life. And Jesus wants to come along and wake us up out of that stupor. Wake us up out of the kind of. And sometimes we need somebody to shake us. I know I do. And Jessica is typically the one that gets to shake me. Wake up! You know, hey, come back to reality. Or maybe it's my children, as in the case of Bo. You know, his jerking of his head, <laughs> kind of, I was like, what are you doing, son? And I realized, you know, he's wondering what daddy's doing. If we're going to refocus, that means we have to look at something. So, who is it or what is it that we must look to? And, of course, our scripture reading today gives us. That exact thing that we need to focus on. Notice, notice what. and again, there's no good way to jump into Paul's writings. Everything is interconnected. I mean, it's, if you've ever studied St. Paul, you know it's a building, that he's building here with words. It's, it's the most amazing thing I've ever read. But look what he says here um, in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers or aliens, Foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members. Speaking of membership, members of the household of God. Notice this. Here's who, So that's who we are. We're citizens. We're family members. Hence, the reason we sometimes say brother, sister. Uh, it's the same thing that Jesus. They come to him, and he says, "Well, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister?" Those who do the will of God. That's whose family. You want to know who family is? The family of God goes deeper than family biology. It transcends ethnicity or nationality. Instead, it's those who do the will of God. That's who your family is. But notice who, who the church is built on. Notice this. Built on the foundation of the apostles... And prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And of course, with St. Paul, you also have that that phrase, in the Lord or in Him, constantly in Ephesians. You can't read uh, Colossians or Ephesians without coming across that phrase 20 times. In Him are all blessings. In Him is where we are supposed to be located. Now, in any building, there has to be a foundation. This building has a foundation. Your house has a foundation. Where you work has a foundation. Um, and if you've ever noticed in the building of buildings, and by no means am I a construction worker or some, an architect who knows how to put together a house. Now, my father does, um, but he never taught me those skills, so <clears throat> I, have to, I have to do without in my life. But what I notice is I drive past a lot of things that go up, such as the Walmart, such as you know, the new Target that's up now, the dirt work takes a long time. You ever notice that? And it's very expensive, really, if you know anything about building. Dirt work is extremely expensive. Why? Because the foundation is key critical. If you have a faulty foundation, the whole superstructure is going to be faulty. That's why there's so much precision and so much time given to the foundation. And isn't that the way it ought to be in our own lives? Shouldn't we also have a sure foundation? But don't we like to get ahead of the thing? We like to get ahead of ourselves, don't we? At least I do. I like to be building the superstructure, the thing that people can see, right? I mean, I like you to see me being righteous, not at home building a foundation of prayer. No one can see if you read your Bible or not. No one knows how much you actually pray during the week. But that is the foundation of the Christian life, is reading the Word and prayer. We like to get to the things of, oh, I can bring Gatorade and water. Yeah, 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 sign me up for that. I want to be seen kind of handing that check in there or, or doing this service for the church. I want to do something. But we don't want a sure foundation. We kind of skip over that part. We think we can live the Christian life without making sure our dirt work is not faulty. And many of us, if we go back to the foundation, there are cracks there. There's something missing. It's shaky. It's like the story that Jesus gave, Remember? of the person who builds his house on the sand? Right? You ever built a sand castle with the kids at the beach? Well, I have. And I built it too close to the water and it all washed away very quickly. There's not much to sand, you know. You can Sand is a... I find sand fascinating when I go to the beach. I, I kind of pack it together and it's like, wow, it forms to your hand. And you have it right there. And in one little move and it's all gone. It just returns back to this grainy sand. But rocks, concrete, once you form that, you've got something to contend with then. If you ever had to break up concrete before, which I have with a sledgehammer, hit myself in the eye with a piece, it's tough. It takes time to break up that. Sand, you can come by and with one swift kick, the whole thing's gone. Even if it is some nice professionally made uh, sandcastle like I've seen before which I've never been able to emulate uh, in my life, sadly. Maybe I'll get there one day. But isn't that true in our own life too? Sand, rock, Jesus is our rock. And many of us build a superstructure on sand. Now let me translate that a little bit, since I'm using some images here. We build our lives on a job. We build our lives on a friendship. We build our lives on a marriage. We build our lives on children. Now, are any of those things bad? No, of course not. But they are not the sure foundation. Can marriages fail? Can children break your heart? Can death come? Can sickness and illness? Yes, they're not a sure foundation. Only Jesus Christ. He is the only sure foundation. That's it. He is the only rock that will never be moved, that will never be broken, that you will never stumble over. It's interesting what Jesus tells about Himself when He speaks of Himself as the rock. He says, either you'll fall on Me and break, or you'll be built on Me. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they tripped over Him. They broke on this rock. But we, as Christians, as people of faith, can build our life on this concrete setting, so to speak. Maybe we're using too much construction terms, but Jesus or Paul here uses this idea of Jesus being a cornerstone, which means he was the first stone placed in this building. The foundation being the apostles and the prophets. Now, who are the prophets? Old Testament? Apostles? New Testament. So in other words, our foundation lies here. The Word of God. This is our foundation. This is what we stake our lives on. Some of you have given your lives, many hours of your lives to the church, to reading. It has not been in vain. You have been laying a foundation in order for God to build upon. And this is where we are as a church. We are at a place where God has laid this foundation biblically. He's drawn us together under the umbrella of Christ. We are kind of huddled under Him as, his, as, as this world is crashing around us. He is our shield, just like an umbrella shields us from the rain. And we, we've huddled together, and now He's ready to build a superstructure, so to speak. We don't know how big, but a superstructure from us as He places us in different locations, just as He has uh, many of you in, in places in this church, doing certain things in worship, or behind the scenes, or giving you a gift of, of giving or praying. There are many jobs, so to speak, in this temple. There's room for everyone to work. And that's the beauty of the church. But you say this morning, and here's, here's where really I feel that in America and in our own lives and in in my life, we always slip on this one thing and that is Jesus Christ. Now, all of us in here would agree, I think, on the fact that Jesus lived. On the fact that Jesus was God's Son. On the fact that He died. Just as we say in our Apostles' Creed, all those uh, doctrinal things, He died, He resurrected, He started the church. None of us have a problem with those things. And most of us think very good about those things. Yes, I'm glad He did that. But I'm afraid that sometimes we can believe those things, but still not know Jesus Christ. And that's the danger in the Christian life. It's the danger of growing up in church. It's the danger of kind of getting into this stare mode where we kind of just are doing things and we're not really looking at anyone. We're in this stupor. So, how do we get out of this? Can we meet Jesus Christ? You ever thought about that? Can we actually meet him? You know, we we oftentimes maybe think in our mind, you know, if I only lived back in the first century when Jesus was walking around, I, I would definitely live better. I mean, if I was around him, I would for sure want to live better. And yet, look at the disciples. We think, you know, if God was here and He showed up in some magical way, uh, you know, I would never return to that sin. Look at Israel. God is, you know, on top of this mountain, Mount Sinai, it's, it's quaking. There's a thunderstorm. And it's on fire. And you can actually audibly hear the voice of God. And yet, they turn from Him. You see, the reality is it's only an excuse. Because the reality is, He is here. There's someone here with us now. It's not a joke. It's not something we kind of conjure up in our minds psychologically. We're not demented. There is someone who created all things and is here. He's your maker. He is Jesus Christ, the person, the historical Jesus, the same one who has the wounds from His crucifixion still intact in His body. He is here in our midst this morning. What a thought. Can we know Him? Yes, we can. John 17.3 says, as Jesus is praying in John, He says this, He says, For this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Eternal life is about knowing God, not just believing that there is a God. A lot of times I feel like most evangelicals think they're doing God a favor by believing in Him. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. As if that's... Well, duh. That's the most simple thing to do in life is believe in God. It's obvious there's a God. Paul tells us that in Romans 1. The Old Testament tells us that in Psalm 8. You look at the heavens. You see a beautiful sunset and you know there's a God. You have to teach children there is no God in order for them not to believe in one. It's natural for us to believe in God. We have to suppress that... But in our secular culture today, we almost feel as if we're doing God a certain... Oh, now hang on, I believe in God, baby. I got that down. And Jesus goes so much further than just believing mentally. And He says, no, it's those who what? Obey the will of God. Not just believe in God. Oh yeah, I believe in God. I'm going to get back to my life now. Thanks a lot. We become deists. People who believe that God is not interacting with us. That is not what the Scripture teaches. We are to be in Christ. One with Christ. We are to know God. It's our purpose in life. If you want to know the purpose of life, it's to know and love God. That's the easiest way to talk about purpose in life. He created us because He wanted to know us. He likes you. I know it's hard to believe, that He likes somebody like me, but He likes to be with me. He loves it. He loves it so much that He came down to be with me in the flesh. He became like us. That's how much He likes us. He didn't want to remain spirit. He could have remained in heaven, but instead He chose on to, take our, to choose our flesh, our headaches, to enter into our world, to walk in your shoes. He knows what it's like. That's the good news. He likes you. That's why He died for you. So you could know Him. So you could love Him. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, you have to hear the good news. You have to listen for it. You have to know it. The first step to knowing Jesus, and this is a real practical message this morning. This is not some kind of theoretical or ideological message. How do you know Jesus? Jesus. Pick up a Bible, such as the NIV, ESV, whatever your preference, something easy to read, modern translation, and read the Gospels. There's four of them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read those and you ask Jesus. You say, Jesus, will you show me yourself? These are about, the Gospels are witnesses to who? Jesus. What is Christian, you know, in my world religious class, I always say, what is Christianity about? It's about Christ. That's all Christianity is. If you want to, I mean, I know, look, above all people, I think I I know how deep you can go down doctrinally and how varied Christianity is around the world and how many beliefs and how many esoteric things there are in Christianity and and just things that will blow your mind. But if you want to boil it down, what is Christianity about? It's about Jesus Christ. That's it. If you have Him, you have all of Christianity. because it's about a person a real person and we can relate to that can't we you know Buddhists deal in ideas they deal in deep meditations deep philosophies Uh, and that's tough some of us don't even like to read philosophy some of us have never even read philosophy wouldn't read it but we can relate to a person can't we It's what we do every day. If you want to find Jesus, if you want to know him, find him like a real person. Don't treat him like an idea. That's the saddest thing in Christianity, is to simply treat Jesus as an idea to be believed in. No, he's a person to be believed on. That's the difference. It's not just religious acts even though we do a lot of religious acts, both in our personal life and here. But it's not just religious acts. Those religious acts are pointing to a relationship. You know, do you have to take time each day to ask your wife how she's doing, uh, how her day was, to talk about normal stuff, to plan and so on and so forth? Do you have to do that? You know, well, there's no law that says you do. But you better be doing it. That's something you ought to do religiously. Why? Because it points to the relationship you have with her. That's why. Should you? That's the same thing. Should you go to church? Is there anywhere that says you have to? Any law? No. Now the Bible says you have to. That is our law of the land. But nobody makes you. You know, we don't. If you miss a Sunday, we don't come marching to your house. Maybe we should. I'm just kidding. But the point is, when you come to church, you're getting connected again to that relationship. That's why religion is not apart from... You know, we've tried to bifurcate the two, rip them apart, divide them, but that's not the case. Religion, our religious acts, go right into the relationship of Jesus Christ. Everything in Christianity points to Jesus Christ. Because why? He's the foundation. He's that cornerstone. You ever seen those old buildings... I mean, that were built in the you 1700s, know, 1800s when, when things were just beginning to be established here in America. For instance, old churches, Methodist churches in particular. Uh, I saw one recently, and um, it was actually in West Virginia when we were there. And I saw the cornerstone. The cornerstone had engraved in it the date. The date of when it was built in the 1800s. That stone is still standing there hundreds of years later After all those years, the cornerstone is. The foundation. Is your foundation still standing? Because Jesus' is the cornerstone. Anything else is going to fall. Everything else is going to fail. Except for Him. He alone will not fail. He will never fail. Remember our reading from this morning, Lamentations. Everything's falling down around Jeremiah. People are dying all around him. Total destruction. People being ripped from their land. They were actually even eating their own children to stay alive. It was a terrible cannibalistic, terrible time. And he says, "This wait on the Lord, <laughs> because only the Lord is your hope. He's the only hope we have in this life. Is Jesus Christ." Everything else will ultimately fail us. Including the people we love the most. Including the people we trust the most. They will fail us. So the first thing to know Jesus is to hear the good news. Read the Gospels. The second thing is check Him out. Listen to His teachings. Listen to what He says. Uh, By reading the Gospels and also by being a disciple. If you want to know Jesus Christ, then get with someone who says they know Jesus Christ. Get with someone who you know has the same type of spirit as Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. It's only through discipleship that you will come to be a disciple. And discipleship is long. Discipleship, again, is a relationship. So it can't just be you and your Bible, but it must be you, your Bible, and followers of Christ. If you want to get to know Jesus, you have to know His body. And His body is made up of people in this room. Not only that, if you want to get to know Jesus, you have to count the cost. It's what He warned people, remember? You have to count the cost of following Me, because when you choose to follow Me, You have to lay everything down. Ultimately, by following me, it'll lead to the death of self. Remember, that's what he tells his disciples when Peter makes that confession, You are the Christ. Jesus turns to him and he says, Only God could have told you that, Peter. He says, I'll tell you what, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Where did Jesus go when he took up his cross? He went to go die. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died in 1947 at the end of World War II by the Nazis, a Christian theologian that studied here in America, he said, when the Lord bids a person to come and follow him, he bids him to come and die. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to give up their way of life. We want to, this is our natural thing, is to be closed. This is mine. Just like a little kid that finds something new like Frank did that time with those knives. We want to say this is mine. But we have to be open to death. Death to ourself. Death to our way of life. Death to our attitudes. Death to sin. Sin leads to death. It will kill us if He doesn't kill it. Sin is a lot like cancer. You can't play around with it. You don't just treat the symptoms of melanoma. Instead, you treat the actual problem. You cut it out. At all cost, you cut it off. Isn't that what Jesus said? If, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Hand, cut it off. It's better to enter into heaven maimed than it is into hell whole. Count the cost. Also, if you want to know Jesus, you have to give Him all your doubts. Will there always be doubts? Yeah. Isn't there always doubt in personal relationships? Sometimes you think, does that person really love me? I mean, even after what I've done, do they still love me? We have doubts in all our relationships. Doubt is nothing new. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. But we must give those doubts to Jesus Christ. And not let them obstruct us from coming to Him. Which is the last point. We must come to Him. If we want to know Jesus, we have to come and see Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. we got to know Him for ourselves. You can say it this way. Try Jesus. Try that relationship out. Go ahead and give Him your heart. Even though you don't understand it all. Even though it seems weird. You may feel like you're talking to yourself at first. But let me tell you something. There's somebody there. It's not a darkness that's out there. It's not just an idea that's floating around and we just try to do our best. There's a person that is in this room that is calling your name. That knows you more than anybody else knows you. He's one of us. And He's here. And he wants to meet you. Do you want to meet him? Because if we're going to refocus, we've got to have a sure foundation. And the scripture has already told us he is that only foundation. Is he your foundation this morning? Do you know him in that way? Because let me tell you something one of his commands is not take and believe, but take and eat, take and drink. This is my blood, this is my body. And as we celebrate communion, this is a palpable way, a physical way to respond to Jesus Christ, to His person. He promises to meet us here. He promises to be remembered in this meal. He's the one who instituted it, not me. Some people think it's weird. Some people don't like to practice it. But the reality is, he has told us to, and in obedience to that, that's why we partake of holy communion. It's why we he said, he said, do it until he comes again, in order to remember him, and that's why we do it once a month here at this church. Is he your foundation this morning? Really? Let's just get real. Do you really know him? We've already established you believe in it, but do you really know him? And do you really love Him? Because if you love Him, you'll do what He says. You'll trust what He says. You'll go where He says. You'll do what He says. Amen.